You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. Welcome to Quantum Leap Book Club. During the next hour, beloved mind scientist Parisha and her guests from around the world will read and discuss various best-selling books with well-known authors. Every show will apply retention techniques designed to help you to absorb powerful knowledge to effectively change your life. Join us every week for a thought-provoking hour and re-listen as often as you can. You will be delighted by what you learn and you will be excited by the results. Are you ready to take the quantum leap? Here's Parisha. Greetings. This is Quantum Leap Book Club. I'm your host, Parisha, and my co-hosts this week are Geraldine Dalby-Ball of Sydney, Australia, Maria Jacques of Miami, Florida, Trina Cooper, Denver, Colorado, and Marianne Love, Melbourne, Australia, Steve Jones, Kingman, Arizona, and Joyce Mullenhauer, Kingman, Arizona. And we've come together today to actually discuss and bring some work of Dr. Fred Allen Wolf's book, Matter into Feeling. We'll be working with Chapter 7 today. If you have your book handy in that, you may want to join us and follow along. But we will actually be summing up what each one of us have gotten from the particular chapter in the work of, of Dr. Wolf. What I want to point out is the importance of this chapter. Each one of our chapters that we have covered, each have a very essential part of what we need as we discover and come to the stronger awareness of our own ability to be a divine being, to uh, come to our own state of enlightenment and individually be the purpose of which we are here about. So Wolf, Dr. Wolf brings a lot of this to reality for me and has been one of my favorite mentors. He has a tremendous sense of humor and is enjoying with some of it. It's very strong into physics. So the sense of humor softens everything up. I'm going to ask Trina Cooper of Denver to actually read the beginning page that we have on Chapter 7 that introduces us to the particular Hebrew glyphs and the particular part of the symbology of what these glyphs represent. And then again, that's how the particular chapter flows. What I want to suggest before we do that is I suggest that you actually, especially those of you that are inclined to art or to draw or doodle, you'll want to actually draw these glyphs and look at the particular beginning of each chapter where he teaches you the exact meaning and why he has used these combinations of glyphs. Always there's two glyphs complementary to each other. And in the fact that you begin to do that, I don't know how involved your teachings may be, but you need to understand how powerful symbols are. Everything that we do that actually has to do with manifestation has symbolic power and meaning. Whether it be mudras, art, or particular symbols and glyphs that are on tablets and in the process are actually weaving themselves through eternity. So when we put symbols together or we put art, the crafting of the art of the glyphs and so forth, you're calling into existence a particular world that actually manifests a field that has a world of its own. So when we look at where these glyphs are and how they've been put together, it would behoove you, if you're a serious, serious student of self-discovery, 
to actually take the art of each symbol and put them together, knowing the meaning of them as you're working on them and personalize them in whatever way you want. I personalize them by actually drawing on a particular uh, art piece I have that's water. I actually have a brush and I do a, a tremendous amount of symbology work. And I actually draw everything in the water with the water and the water evaporates into the atmosphere. And I have actual, had tremendous holographic experiences with that. Doing it in art pad and on a little pad you carry with you in times of whatever particular activity you're feeling you need enforcement for. These are all definitely things that work. Today's two symbols especially strong in today's world of what we're doing. So I'm going to ask Trina to actually read what she's written. First and all, it's explaining the symbols. Trina, can you do that for us? Sure. Zane, which is the number seven, to Ain, which is 70. Zane represents energy in the process of breakdown, a state which enables new possibilities to arise. Zane is the wave-like field of possibilities grown from the seeds of Vav and may also be thought of as the primary principle of indeterminacy. Zane and Ain like the sex partners, Vav and Samek, that precede them, deal with possibilities. Zane represents the two flows of possibility, one heading into the future, the other echoing from that future. In Ain, these information streams of possibility coalesce, and everything that was possible becomes tangibly probable. I think that that is so important as you are beginning to become your own creator and understand yourself as a co-creator, therefore seeing evidence of what you put together and can make happen when you do your practices and when you're actually in the alchemy of what manifestation processes you know, okay? So in chapter seven, he's actually called the chapter, The Eye to the Universe, and I feel the whole beginning paragraph of this book is actually everything that you will ever need in order to go forth in life and see manifestation of what you know and how you can actually bring your life into a greater state of happiness and health and well-being. So I'm going to do something we don't normally do on the show. I'm actually going to read that to you. So I hope you have your books and that you're highlighting this, okay? To begin with, there is a little quote here from Albert Einstein. Reality is merely an illusion, a bit, a very persistent one. Albert Einstein. The Hebrew letter symbol Zane deals with flows of unobserved infinite possibilities. No eye perceives them. No ear hears them. Nothing senses that presence and no memory registers them as fact. They remain in the imaginal realm. In the Hebrew letter symbol Ain. We see these information streams, a possibility, colis, and everything that was possible becomes tangibly probable, meaning 
that each possibility really exists, although each may not be immediately evident. The whirlwind of imaginal realities from the imaginal realm, too unaccountable to be fully and totally reckoned, realized, suddenly manifests into a maelstrom of probable realities. Here, we deal with computable and therefore countable results of these imaginal flows. Now, perception occurs. Indeed, perhaps many perceptions occur. And all of these perceptions become countable if we could actually count them. What he's saying there is that our reality is still in our control. And this is how it stays in our control. We create the life and the world that we experience. That's really sometimes really hard to do when you're trying to be perfect in it. And what we're looking at here is the imaginal. And I don't know how to deal with the fact that most of us as adults were raised by people who told us to stop our imagination, that all of that's just crazy, or don't do that, or that's not real, and your dreams don't mean anything. And I mean, all of the particular brainwashing of that. You have to come back at it very strong as an adult to overcome some of those particular pathways. But the imaginal is where the reality is, not the physical. The physical simply can be manipulated by whatever emotional experience you're putting to it. So the probability that he talks about here is there. The probability happens when you make the choice of what you want. The, the possibilities are unlimited and forever. It's the probability that you influence because of this is what you desire or want. And again, I hope you highlighted that part and that you make it a definite part of your everyday practicing and learning. Reading it over and over, you will actually discover more information coming from it, even though it's the same words that you used before. Your brain changes and your brain will see more of what is there. So we're going to move on now and I'm going to let my co-hosts begin to explain and explore some of the stuff that they've gotten from this chapter. And we'll start with Geraldine there in Sydney, Australia. Geraldine, are you there? Yes, here, loud and clear. And oh, all right. uh, it's been, it's been a, a very interesting chapter. As you mentioned, that whole concept of the two flows, the flow from the future to now and the flow from the past to now. And that whole mixing, as it says, when those two flows come together, they coalesce. And then physicality happens. So a lot of this is about how are we actually, how are we actually creating? And this, the eye to the universe goes through a section called double your pleasure, and and it's a nice way of saying you really can have that ability to appreciate what's feeding forward to you from the past, which is totally fine. It's not saying the past is anything wrong, and feeding to you from the future, which can be called our intuition. It's the feeling we have. What is it that creates words that just pop into our head? Another point that it makes, and we have been through this previously in the book, is about memory. So when we think something is coming from the past, it's not actually coming from three years ago or two months ago. It's coming from the memory that we have of it right now. And as we've seen, that memory is fallible, which means... Um, not always consistent, not always reliable. 
So really, we're working from right now and our interpretations of the past and how open we are at being receptive to what's put in the future there for us. So that's a little bit about about um, doubling the pleasure and leading directly into the two-step dance of life and memory. And part of that is what they call self-reference and renormalization. So there may be an idea of who we are and then we check it. So self-reference, is that really who we are? How does that look? Oh, I've got to shift a little bit this way to make it more normal. And this is a process back and forth and back and forth with this intuitive feeling that we have from the future helping us as our reference and checking in with ourselves to see how close we are to that. And it goes through an interesting mathematical experiment, which, well, not an experiment, a mathematical process to enable us to see an example of a model of the future coming to the present and how there's the behaviour of refining it. And interestingly, it's about the process itself. Like it actually says in the book, it's we look at it, we look at this model that's being presented for us. Like if they say you are going to be called X, so X is just a letter to represent anything. So in this case, the X represents the entity. The entity is saying, okay, I've been told that in the future I'm like this, but it doesn't give it exactly what that is. It actually says it's one divided by one plus itself. Now, to find out what that is, the X or the entity has to do a little experimenting, do a little bit of this, maybe maybe I'm this, and see if that fits what the future said it was. If that doesn't work, then we come back. Oh, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I'm a bit less of this and a bit more of that. And this process, it's the process of looking and comparing, looking and comparing saying how does that fit to this idea of the future which they then call self-referencing and renormalizing so this is the attempt to define itself this is x trying to find itself and as it says too this is x this is the ego the part that says this is who i am a thing in essence separate from those around it's the defining and it's not about the answer at the end of it the answer comes when the entity says, well, that's good enough. I'm as close as I can get. And it's the process that X goes through that creates its identity. What is this backwards and forwards that X does to find itself? And I love right at the end that it points out that humans are guided by this evolved idea of themselves in the future, this intuitive feeding back to us. And it's a difference between humans and computers and AI in that AI and computers, as complex as they are at the moment, they're still working on information from the past and they can combine it in all sorts of fantastic ways for novel times, but they're still working on that flow past to now, whereas human, humanity and humans can be guided by their own sense of evolved future, and that's key as well. It's the particular person or entity's own sense of their future. So as, as we started, we're the ones that create the future that feeds back and talks to us. This is so cool, and I appreciate that. You brought that point really good. 
Just before we went on the air, you made a statement, though, and I'd like you to wrap it up by reading that statement that you made to us, to our listening people, okay? Certainly. I will get that do right you have now. It? Yes, I do. And the statement was that there's a very interesting part that the difference between AI and humans is that humans perspective is that humans perceive and act in the stream of future to now, whereas AI and other robotics are thinking based on the stream of the past to now only. There are there are so many scientists that that I work with. I work with some of the top people in science and they are arguing constantly about what AI possibility will be to override humanity. And it's so cool that of all days today, you summed that up because yesterday, late, the, the, sometimes these calls are international. So I'm like on a call at three o'clock in the morning listening to all of this. And one of, one of our newcomers, like a, a new, uh, well, he's genius, of course, come into the fact that all these grandfather scientists are looking at him and sizing him up and seeing what he's got right and when this subject come up he almost said verbatim what you wrote when we were getting on the show today and I just thought that it was so fantastic sat here and laughed about it so we're when to, to think that here on our show we're actually discussing things that the top scientists of the world are looking at and how they're looking at the possibility of what we as human are moving forward to. So I thought that was real cool. I wanted to make sure that you actually realize you must be plugging in somewhere along the line. Okay, now we're going to move to Maria Jacques in Miami, Florida. And that's about yeah. where I'm located today. Only Maria is someplace else, and I'm sitting here in a parking lot on the telephone. So let's just move forward from there. Maria, where are you? Yeah, it, that's totally exciting to see that everything is such synchronicity. And in in this chapter, I just it, it's just so chock full of information. When I was reading, and I felt like I was highlighting almost every sentence that you can just hang on to. So it's really important to read the book, to have the book and read it. But I love how he uses the Hebrew letters as we as you kind of were addressing in the beginning and their relation and how their relationship takes us into this deeper understanding of ourselves. And in that, I for me, it really challenges us to think outside of the box. And then he describes how the eye of Ain takes the possibility of Zane and, and what he's saying is that it connects the dots with the out there universe with the in here mind. So what he's talking about here is how we create the realities we want to observe and experience. And that all of this happens in a time loop. He says that a stream, a stream flows from the beginning and reflects from the end of the story back to its beginning, and he uses the example of like a snake swallowing its tail. So what we really have is a complete history with a beginning, a middle, and an end that forms in the mind. So what we have is the creation of the in here mind becomes the out there reality. And he goes on to make a point that, that really stuck out with me in the chapter where he said, the mind of God is prodigious. And to define that in case anyone didn't know, because I didn't know the definition of prodigious, what that means is 
remarkable or impressively great in extent, size, or degree. So what he's saying is that in the mind of God, or for me in the all that is, or in other words, also the field of possibilities, we have countless imaginings and events that always are appearing. But what happens is we don't recognize this. And what we tend to do is that we look at the past for answers and of the present and of the present. And what we're what we're really trying to do is he, he was telling us in this chapter is that what we're trying to do is minimize the risk that is based on our survival mechanism. So we create illusions. We make up stories to fit the sequences of our experiences. And if we remember some of what we read in chapter three with the memory and the trickster, we see that this can really be misleading. So, and then instead what he's saying in each instant, we're making choices. Each option carries a risk. He also states that each choice must follow the quantum rules. So how I understand this is that coming from the, this is coming from the observer effect. Each thought that we have, then it becomes its manifestation. And in the chapter, he identified two concepts, which is feedback from the future and feed forward from the past. Feedback from the, pu the future appears as intu intuition, thought, and feed forward from the past appears as feelings and perceptions of senses. Now, what's important about this is that without this loop of time, he says, there would be no sense of the I, I in self. And that is really important because it it's, it's referring to this definition of self. So no memory, feeling, thought, or sensation can arise without this time loop. So in a nutshell, how this happens is you have an event that is identified as the now. Then possibility flows to a future event, which he describes the yet to come. And from here, he says it flows backward, the thought time stream creating a disturbance. And the interaction between the two streams, the now and the yet to come, give rise to the observer and observed, and so now we have a story and the teller of the story. Now, the other point that he makes is that that is really fascinating and is what we usually define as the identity of the I is usually defined by past events. But what we tend to do is that we search our memories for these past events to help us to decide what to do next. But what he is proposing in this chapter is that the memory that we are scanning is actually existing in the now. We aren't really going back into the past for answers, what is what he's saying. What we're actually looking toward is the future. In other words, the yet to come is our memory in the future. So really in a nutshell in this chapter, what he's telling us is that the future and the present handshake across time. So what we're looking at here is the future decides the present, not the other way around as we as we think it is. And that's and that's really a fascinating concept, very different than what we have been trained to think and believe. You're right, but and and but in what it offers us, 
makes the world so much more than what we have come to make of it. You know what yes. I mean? Mm-hmm. We act, we willingly accept ourselves as victims uh, and our victimization is the power of our governments and the power of things we have determined are powerful over us. And when you really start reading and understanding what all, like what you've just explained, we have a lot more choice here than what we're accustomed to exercising and that we don't have to get militant, ugly or hurt or harm anything to actually help change that particular situation. Just enough of us thinking along these lines and understanding what you said, just understanding what you said and what you've come to understand. We can have a world of where people are not killing each other, calling it peace, and that we can actually negotiate win-win situations where things looked impossible. So everything you've just shared tells us we have so much more to look forward to, and so does the generation that's coming up behind us. So it was beautifully presented, Maria. Thank you very much. Now let's go over and see what Trina Cooper has to say there from Denver. Trina, you there? I am. Um, So to pick up on this a little bit more too, some of the points that I thought were really interesting, that Ain is the eye to the universe, which means that this connects the dots in the flow of this information. It really means from the quantum physics perspective that the observer, this eye observing, creates the disturbance and pulls out the probabilities from the possibilities. So it takes an observer, and we're the observer, but it takes an observer to make this all happen. So again, in the mind, we seem to think that time just streams and comes from the past and we move to the future and that it's a linear process, but it really isn't. Because in order to complete a story or to create in the future, we look at what's coming forward from the past, but we also look at our intuitions, we look at our thoughts and the possibilities from the future, and we draw those back in and we create this process in mind where we're kind of, he called it a maelstrom, so like a whirlpool of thoughts and ideas and considerations, um, we're constantly creating new memories, new perceptions, new information that comes in and we add it to the old and then it becomes an old memory. So what's really remarkable here is that we do fall and we look look backwards to the past to make choices in so many instances because What we already know is not as risky as what we are um, trying to intuit or trying to plan out. And it's easy. It's easy for us to fall back into something that we remember, even though the memory may not be accurate. It's safer in so many people's lives than to jump forward and take a risk. And as Maria had said, when it doesn't work out, we tend to point fingers and blame other people even though we're the ones making the choices and we're the ones like I would be the one making the choice. I would be the one playing it out. And so we need to move from this because every option we take, every choice we take carries a risk. We can't stop that. It's always there. And so 
as we move forward, we need to recognize that we bring the old memories and beliefs and patterns forward. We also find this other information or intuition and we pull it back and create this cycle to analyze things in our minds. But feelings enter into this too, because our feelings have energy and it's nature's way of remembering things. We have to remember that no energy appears or disappears. It's always present. So when the past moves to the present, we feel what we've experienced. We remember what we've experienced, but we also experience and sense things from the future. And there's a feeling involved in that too. And we mix these feelings as well as we begin to create our future. So we talk about the self-referencing. Where are we now? What are we doing? Who are we? And as we add new information or new experiences to ourselves, we're constantly trying to renormalize this, constantly looking at, well, now I know this. So who am I now? Now I know this. I can pr proceed in this direction. So we're constantly referencing ourselves and adding new information and creating a new normal. We're never the same once we've added new information. So um, when we begin to anticipate the future and we take that path of information from the past and the path of information from the future and we create this cycle, we begin to define an event to happen. And what's really important to remember through all of this is that our now tries to connect to the possibilities of the future. But as we remember from the past chapters, our lives are moments of now to moments of now to moments of now to moments of now. What is now becomes the past. What is to be the future or what is the yet to come becomes the now. And then there's a new yet to come that stands out for us. So it's important to recognize that we're constantly in this loop of reappraising, figuring out, okay, this feels right, um, renormalizing, adding new information, making new choices, and then refining ourselves continually. It's a very dynamic, dynamic process that we move through from moment to moment. And like was said before, humans combine the past and the future where the computers only work from the past. And that makes us as humans extremely dynamic and potent. <laughs> for sure. Absolutely, for sure. Thank you for that. Okay. And so well, when uh, we're... When I, for as long as I've known him, he, Dr. Wolf comes up with terminology that's just really appropriate and exciting always, okay? And when he's talking about past, he doesn't say past. He actually says feed forward. And he, when he writes up reports and stuff, he talks about it. He will not say from a past experience. He'll say from the feed forward, okay? And I like that because when we say past, and especially with those of us who are working constantly on developing the wider sense of reality, okay, we we see past as negative. We make that negative. We're trying to get away from being of the past. We want to have 
this new and we're coming forward to what we want. It's very unusual, isn't it, to actually know that we're constantly working from feed from the future. And the intuitive nature of us is the most natural nature that we have, yet so many people think that they're not. Okay, so we're constantly drawing to the future. And what's come to help me even have a greater sense of that now is actually dealing with the grief of my son dying. And realizing people would keep saying to me, you know, it'll just take it day by day, just take it day by day. And what they're really saying that as as each day passes, the future is feeding me information and pulling me closer into a greater place or an understanding or an outcome to that. And it really, really works. It isn't like we start stop memorizing it's not like it goes away or becomes part of the past it's actually taking us into the future and where this is going in the future powerful very very powerful and i do like the way that he says it's feed forward and that's just more exciting to me so we're going to move on here and let's see what marianne love there in melbourne australia has to say about what she read hi everyone yeah I love this chapter. It's really um, life-changing. So um, I think the first thing that stood out to me was he spoke about Zane being really from the realm of the imaginal, like the unlimited possibilities, whereas Ain really reflects more infinite possibilities that are now becoming probable. And so when we have Ain, we're actually talking more about witnessing a story or like the observer being the key ingredient here for manifestation. So he discusses how our minds create the beginning and the middle and the end of the story. And when we do that, we establish the time loop. And as everyone's discussed, and I think the bit that stood out the most to me is that information flows from the future back to the present and it's a continual loop. Um, of time and experience, which every future event now adjusts the current experience of now and that just keeps reinforcing on itself and creating new moments. Um, one of the things that really stood out to, he, to me was him saying that if we're focused on the past, because often we're sort of using feed, did you call it feed forward, feed backward information? Yes, grab feed, forward. <laughs> feed forward. Feed forward, yeah. Yeah, yeah feed forward. If that's where our attention is actually going to the feed forward experience of the fast past, then he's saying we're stuck in like a um, survival mechanism. And then I guess as a therapist, this is something that really I hone in on because it really then limits what our attention will be focused on from the part from the future back to the present. We're sort of then stuck in a perpetual loop of um, feed forward rather than future feeding our experience and I think that's really key for all of us to be aware of it and is. um and just our sense of like intuition you know like really valuing our sense of intuition because that is the information coming from the from the future to the now and just trusting that more and more and allowing that to really um incite our imagination and what we can perceive as possible and really expanding on that um I thought it was really interesting that he said no energy appears or disappears um all 
to me, I understood that to be all energy is now available. All information is available in the present moment to be accessed and to be aware of and to understood. Um, and he goes into quite a lot of detail about the what he calls the two-step dance, the, the dance of how we use self-referencing, which, is, which means that the source of information comes from one's own character or experience. I looked that one up in the dictionary. I also looked up what the word um, renormalisation means because he says this is the other step in the which is key to forming experience. And the word normal means to conform to a standard that's usual, typical or expected. So the word renormalization means the process by which things that fall outside what is standard or typical become standard or typical. So we're constantly renormalizing and using self-reference to create the time loop so he talks about the now and that he says that's an n he uses it in his book as an n to describe it and then the future events is why and that the future events influence what now becomes the n and then as the now event changes then the different future events then feed back on itself so that's the self-referencing and renormalization process so it'd be good to i think look at um the example he gives in the book, he uses numbers to do it to help you get your head around what that actually looks like because the numbers actually adjust themselves over time to become more like the original N event, which is interesting. Um, and I think the other thing that stood out to me, and I will reiterate it because I thought it was fascinating, um, the difference between computers and, and humans, and it's almost like joyful for me to think that um, we are engineered in a, an amazing, beautiful way that creates our possibility um, and then we actually outsmart computers because <laughs> we use <laughs> to um, influence our reality. Yeah. Well, well, what we have come to hear so much of is people are afraid computerization and robots are going to replace us. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you hear this. And then you understand this because he puts a very good example of why that's not going to happen. Okay. And for me, especially in teaching, and I'm sure all of you as my co-hosts, because we're all in the same work. Okay. Is we're working with people who are constantly dragging through the past or the feedback works. Okay. They're, they're constantly, whatever, we're doing and like right now I'm hoping all of you that are listening that are working with us on the the fact that we're working in the book change your beliefs with Joe Dispenza okay we're working with the three brains and three minds the, the thinking the being and the doing which is exactly what he's talking about only a whole nother window display with it right and so when we stop to think we're wasting our time to worry about what was. We're wasting our time laboring, trying to not be what we were in the past. What we're seeing and what Dr. Wolf is saying, you never are the past. You're always feeding, your, your life source is coming from the future. So all we really have to do then is get clear, right? We only have to be clear what it is we really want and that we need to stay focused on that. Not worry about what was, not worry about what happened, not worry about any of that. It's just a matter that it's there, okay? 
but that we are constantly in opportunity. We're constantly being given the future. We're just needing to make the choice. That's where we want to live. And when we begin to live, breathe, and have our being in that state of thinking, we've already crossed that line into totally illumination. This is fantastic. I get real excited about this. Let's let Steve Jones in uh, Kingman, Arizona, give us some of his insight now. Steve, you there? I'm here. And uh, so what Wolf talks about, as we've heard, is, is the two streams of information, one from the past, one from the future, and how their interaction produces the present moment. And the stream from the past provides us with information that's, you know, that's helped us survive. It gives us things that we should be aware of that we've already experienced. And the other stream is from the future. It originates from our mind that's collapsing a new reality. And that new reality may not be presently evident to our senses right now, but we, we are collapsing it. And the information feeds backwards and forwards. Uh, it moves forward from the information perceived in, in feelings, perceptions, and it moves backwards in the form of intentions and thoughts. So every event and every experience that we have shapes the probability of the events to come in our future. And Wolf refers to the, the memories that come from the past as self-reference and to the new thoughts called, renorm he calls renormalization. And those, as I said, intertwined or create the reality of the present moment. moment. Uh, the renormalization is us changing what the present normal is to something new. And he explains it in, in the chapter how mathematically, how humans create reality energetically by using the data from the past and the future to create the present moment and that we're not bound to the past as if we were a, a robot or a computer. So we can refine the details of our future by refining how we perceive things in the present moment. So with every thought, I can renormalize myself or change what's normal for me to a better normal. So the, the same old, same old becomes the past and I enter into a new normal. And that's what I got out of it. That's, that's exciting. But and in also what you're saying to to even take it and look at it at that point, the fact that we are actually considering some of the feedbackwards that we've gotten, it doesn't mean that we're stuck there. You know, it's just we can now observe it without feeling locked into it or lost in the quagmire of it or whatever, because we know where our next breath is coming from. And the impact of what's true and real is we're in the future just a breath the in and out of the breath takes us right into the future okay and and so th that's to me the it stops the labor and, and working with people that are moving to become all they can be they continue to drag time by trying to overcome a past that is nothing other than just juxtaposing us into the future it's actually the force pushing us into the future so for me, this, this gets so much clearer to work with that, to see that, to relax and let it happen, for God's sakes. Okay, now let's hear from Joyce Mullenheimer, also there in Kingman. Joyce, are you there? I sure am. 
Okay, um, I, I want to start off with referring back to a couple of chapters earlier that he speaks of in this chapter, because I, I found the first time reading through this, I couldn't really put it all together. So I decided I would look back at what he had already given as a base. So I'm not going to go into details, but I just would encourage the listener to look at chapter three and the interaction and how it, it, the intuition, thought, feeling, and sensation are related, because this really fits into this now and press and future. And I love the fact that he calls the future the yet to come. So it's already there, but it's yet to come. And then the other chapter is chapter five that he referred to. And there's an example in that chapter of flipping the coin and how you're with the second person and you're, they're guessing whether it's heads or tails. Well, it's 50-50 to start with. But then the person who's holding the coin uh, looks at the bottom of it and knows what the answer is. So then it becomes 10% and 90%. So... Uh, this just gave me kind of a baseline of of how we can jump to our own conclusions about some things. So in this chapter, he starts off discussing the difference between possibilities and probabilities, and that possibilities are infinite in number. There's just a, there is no way our minds can comprehend how infinite numbers actually are. And then we get narrowed a little bit by moving them into probabilities. And I had to chuckle the way he spoke of probabilities are actually countable if you could count them. Mm -hmm. So we're still dealing with very, very large numbers. And I like the fact that he makes it very clear about the yet to come, the present, and the past, and that memory cannot possibly be anywhere except in the present because our memories are totally distorted and for us to count on our memories being any kind of base to make decisions on or to live with we're, we're on the wrong track so I found it helpful to make kind of a loop on my paper of having now in the present on one end and the yet to come, and I like the yet to come better than future. Somehow yet to come helps me recognize the influence that future is having for me this moment. So the future and the present, his quote is that they handshake across time. So there's this constant movement of tapping into the future, even when we don't know we're doing it with intuition when we capture the gift of intuition and trust our intuition, then we are very definitely working in the future, in the yet to come. So his, one of his final statements are, human beings are guided by the sense of, of their own evolved identities in the future. So this to me is saying, okay, this can be a total summary of this whole chapter. Recognize the value of the future, tap into the future, pay attention to intuition, and have this be a powerful part of every day. 
Wonderful. Very good. And I do appreciate that you actually brought us back to some of the prior chapters that kind of hook right into this, because he actually, in the chapter, references looking at those chapters again. So keep keeping it going. And that's one of the things that I get kind of hung on and work a lot with with teaching is how people choose to like they start one thing they finish a book they go to a next one it's disjointed it's when you are able to reflect back and connect them and weave them all together that you expand and you have much larger to work with so that was great Joyce thanks a lot what I want to do with the last few minutes we have is actually actually suggest to you a practice that is fantastic and extremely powerful and I touched on it in the beginning and that's working with the symbols. To work with the symbols, each of the, if you've ever studied algebra or any advanced math, you realize it gets into using alphabet and symbols and everything else. That's because that's where our brain, when we move past the nose and the eyes in the brain, we get into the depth of the brain. And that's where these particular frequencies and symbology comes into being universal, large mind expansion working with symbols, okay? So what I'm suggesting you do is start taking pins, have a little pad, don't have to have a big pad. You could do either one, but something very convenient for yourself, a little pad and just have your pin and actually have the chart of the symbols and work with working with them and holding that in, in mind. But once you have actually drawn the symbol, I want you to study it and then close your eyes and just be in awareness of the symbol as long as you can hold the concentration. Once your mind starts to wander, you can either go back and draw it again or focus on it and then go back into just being with the symbol. And especially the symbols that have to actually work within the field around you that you're working in. These two particular symbols actually will enhance wherever and whatever you're taking into study and advancement right now. Going to the from the possibilities to the probabilities and then to the manifestation of. And that once you get some of these wins under your belt, you begin to have the faith that carries you to the stronger practice and beliefs of what you can have. But simply just take and if you have the book, you don't have to go, but you can go on the internet and ask for the Hebrew glyphs, okay? And like I said, practicing how they are actually drawn. When you're practicing and you feel you actually have gotten it as close as you can, that's when you then simply close your eyes and just focus on it in the imaginal. Remember what we just shared about the imaginable. It's where the only reality exists. So when you put it in the imaginable and you're holding it, you're actually using it in your telecasting, you're broadcasting and receiving. And at that moment, things begin to change and help and move in a different direction. And again, remember what I read in the beginning. You don't always have cognitive reality of this. And you can and you will if you focus on that. And that's what you want. But the point is to begin to accept that because you've done it, you're already there. And in that, allow that particular enhancement to yourself. Make it easier. Let it flow, okay? And let all things be as you want them to be. 
Now we have a couple of minutes here. Is there any of you co-hosts that would like to say something in summary? Yeah, uh, this is Maria from Miami. I, I think what was really dynamic for me from this chapter was exactly, um, and I'm also a therapist like Marianne uh, Love in Australia that she shared. And it really, because this whole concept of feed forward and um, uh, feed, you know, from the future and the, and the past, it, 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 it sort of made this whole concept of the time very alive and vibrant. And like you were referring, you know, myself and my patients, you know, and working with people, you get stuck in the past. And the, he presented, that's where, you know, he challenges us to think outside of the box so much in this book that that whole concept of just reframing it brings the idea of time to a totally different level to where you don't need to get stuck in the past at all. It, you know, you can just feed forward and use that as a way to just kind of change that reality for ourselves. Okay, real good. Thanks a lot for that. Anyone else? This is Geraldine in Sydney. I had one about the self-referencing. Uh, Leading on from what Maria was saying about the futures being there for you to intuit, also that self-referencing that every single moment we realise something, we have altered the future. So as, as we recognise, say, a behaviour trait or something and we go, oh, right, we've already changed the future, so now it can talk to us from a, from a different perspective. So that's part of that self-referencing as well. And I think that's a powerful part, just what you said there, that just trust that if you've drawn that glyph and you've been in the imaginal, it's had effect. And then when I see that with what we're reading about self-referencing, what it's saying is it's had effect. Even if we don't see it, the future can now reference back to us from another perspective because that's now been added. Yes, absolutely. And many times when we are working on something, we're so close to the forest, we're not seeing the trees, okay? Which means simply that it's already there and we are preoccupied that it's going to come in a different way or look different or be different or however it comes. We're expecting to come from some other place, okay? So the point of it is, is finally to just accept. And when we surrender to allowing ourselves to trust that we've done what we needed to do. The practice itself is done. It's there. And it's just a matter of you being still enough to know. Be still and know, okay? And so that, it, it all works, okay? We still have a few minutes. Any other of your co-hosts that would like to sum something up? This is Trina, and I, I guess what popped in my head as we've been talking about this is every morning when we wake up, we have a choice of either going, allowing that feed forward from the past to rule our day, or we can wake up with all the potentials of what's in front of us and begin creating something new and allow that future to feed back to us for us to write the new story. So it's a great way, I think, to start a day. It is very, very good. Anyone else? This is Marianne from Melbourne. Yeah, just reiterating how important it is to take the time to 
visualize the future and to um, really be clear on what it is that we're creating to spend that time in the now doing that um, you can see absolutely how that draws that future to us by just simply doing that yep yep okay how about steve or joyce you have anything you'd like to add yes i would like to just remind all of us myself very much is that the past doesn't exist and i think we've covered that to some degree here today but they have proven if you try and tell a story from the past, it's not even the true. It's so distorted. So if there's no other reason to focus on the future, this would be a powerful one. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's so practical. It makes so much sense. Absolutely, Joyce. Absolutely. All right, Steve, you have a couple of words. Yeah, I think um, just... Um, not not worrying so much and and you know focusing on what you need to change but just focusing on what it is that you're going for and what the you know the goal is and uh what you're looking for in the future is um it's a relief it doesn't i mean it doesn't you know like you had mentioned sometimes we we think so much about um the past and oh i have to change this and change this and really by just focusing on what you want new that's doing the changing right there you don't have to bring that back into the present moment well it, it's it's new i mean for all of us who have been in this work for how many years me most of my life i mean late better than at least 90 percent of my life okay to actually have science now help me understand things that i knew from ancient teachings that I couldn't find any backup to in all of the new ways that we're looking and discovering our, our, our abilities, okay? To actually know at this point that it's, it's so useless to stay anchored in the past, not only like what Joyce is saying, first and uppermost, we don't even recall it according to truth. In fact, we add all our emotional and other stuff and, and in maybe even environmental influences that don't count, okay? That uh, knowing that we're in the future, we, when you talk about now and how many of you are in the same place I am, everything is about now. Be present, be present, be present, and you're in the now, okay? Well, it's really comforting to know that what that means is I'm already in the future. And like Joyce said, it, it's on its way. It's here. Okay, so I'm not lost or, you know, burrowed in or in the quagmire. I'm not lost. I'm not, I'm not trying to get myself out of the glue of the past. No, I can walk freely. So all of that makes a whole big difference to the way I think that people accept the teaching of transformation. So we're going to close for this week, and we're very happy to be back on the air. We want to definitely acknowledge all of our listeners who have been very patient with the changes and the different particular adjustments we've had to make as to carrying on with our show. And we're loving it. We love you. We love the communications that you sent. And it is all about how can we help. We want you to know we're here. And whatever we choose to speak and say, 
we're hoping with all our hearts that you're hearing that from the place that we're casting that. And that's to you so that you can always have health, wealth, and happiness. You have a wonderful week and we'll catch you next time. OCO. Thank you for listening to Quantum Leap Book Club. For more information where you can contact us, go to LOARadioNetwork.com forward slash quantum hyphen leap. Have a great week.